Hello and welcome to All Things Small Business, brought to you by DAU. I'm Ken Karka, DAU Small Business Learning Director. This series is offered as a continuing dialogue between government, industry, and academia on acquisition-related issues that impact small businesses who support the critical defense industrial base. Let's join today's conversation. Welcome to All Things Small Business. I'm your host, Anthony Rotolo, and this is the show where acquisition and small business meet. We bring together business owners and contract experts, policymakers, stakeholders, and we explore the issues facing small business and acquisition professionals as they work together to overcome challenges in a government and defense context. With me for today's episode is Carly Cox, Chief Operating Officer for JJR Solutions, LLC in Dayton, Ohio. Carly has been in the small business industrial base for over 16 years. Her company is a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business that provides management consulting services and technical IT services. She has worked for a couple of small businesses at different stages of development. She speaks at Con360 and NMCA and is conversant with small business growth models and career development in addition to supporting the DOD. Carly, welcome to All Things Small Business. Thank you, Anthony. Happy to be with you. I'm so pleased to have you with me today. Now, just to get things rolling here, it's a very new series. You're our very second guest here. I want to start things off by just having you tell us a little bit about your company, how it all got started, and the type of business space your company plays in. I, I described it briefly, but if you could expand upon that, please. Sure, sure. So JJR is in Dayton, Ohio, like you mentioned, and we started um, 11 years ago now, and we really started on what I'll call a whim. Um, our founder, who is um, our CEO and president, his name's Dave Judson, and he really just kind of got fed up with work environments that he was working in. And he thought, there's got to be something more to this. There's got to be something more that I can devote my life to, something a little more meaningful. Um, and so he really just quit his job and was fueled by what I'll call a passion and a motivation that was kind of deeper um, than making money or deeper than a career field. And so he started a consulting business. He was um, prior Air Force, so he was really well connected in the Air Force environment. And he very quickly built a client base and realized, I think I've got something here. And he really, um, within a year, had to hire some employees. He had to really put a company wrapper on it. And um, 11 years later, here we are. And we are, like you said, we are doing management consulting and technology solutions. And we describe that, I guess you could say, as guns and butter. We want to be in both sides or kind of expand our risk, you could say, not be in one area versus another. So in management consulting, we do things like strategic planning. We do analysis of alternatives. We consult over agile methodologies, business process optimization. And then on the other side of the house with technology solutions, we do agile software development. We do some machine learning, AI, things with enterprise data management, SharePoint solutions. So 
those are kind of our two two different buckets. But really, what we are um, in business to do, why we're why we're doing what we're doing, is we're trying to improve the health well-being and security of our communities and nation. That's our purpose statement. That's what gets people going. And that's really why Dave started this whole thing. Right. So it really springs from a clear-eyed vision and a set of values. But the services you offer really run the gamut. You've got many technical skill areas and then just things like the various project methodologies that you mentioned. Do you tend to work with a particular kind of customer? Like, is it folks developing weapon systems, or is it just a very diverse array of clients? Ours is a very diverse array of clients. The services, the type of consulting and the type of solutions that we provide, I think could could be offered to any client, even the commercial space. However, um, we have many domain experts within the DOD, particularly Air Force, and also within the VA. Um, so our our kind of target market right now is DOD and, and the VA. We're not interested in commercial because we do have a business that's really focused on I'll say mission focused business. We really want to help the government. And, and, um, so we, we're not looking at commercial clients, but primarily the DOD and the VA. Now, Carly, what does that typical DOD customer look like? And what is some of the thought process used when partnering with so them? So that's a really great question. Um, for us in the DOD, we have worked with, um, the Air Force. Air Force Space Command, uh, NASA, just to name a few. But we actually focus a lot less on the office that we'd like to work with, and we really zero in on what does our ideal client or mission partner look like. And so for us, we've coined that as government mavericks. And so you might say maverick. I don't know. That has a bad connotation. But let me describe just real briefly what a a maverick looks like to JJR. Um, To us, it's really individuals who, let's say, carries huge responsibility. They're tasked with delivering quick results. We all know and and struggle with how long sometimes it can take to get things on contract or to deliver products or services to the warfighter. Um, So they need to deliver things quickly. And they're, I want to say, uberly committed to getting the job done. And we really want people who kind of look at business as usual and say, no, thank you. And we want to work with them to really change business as usual. We've got flexible approaches and innovative ideas. And the ultimate goal is that we can partner with them to really change the way their organization does business. So we don't really look at any particular agency because, as I said earlier, our services and solutions really can cover uh, across the board both um, military and civilian side. But we're really focusing on finding a client who can partner with us and we can make a really big difference for the ultimate end users of our services and solutions. That's terrific. I think maverick is a perfect word. And it actually fits very well with the the whole sort of cultural change and ways of doing business that the DOD is trying to affect, where rather than stand on longer, linear, bureaucratic 
pathways to innovation and execution of projects. We want to find the short paths. We want to partner quickly with our partners in the private spaces, and we want to challenge our own thinking. As the defense strategy says, we want to provide the warfighter the decisive edge. And that has been filtering down to everything we do in the acquisition world. And here at DAU, we're going through a lot of transformational activity which really brings up a, a blank slate and brings us back to the drawing board in many instances to ask ourselves, well, how are we doing it now and how should we be doing it in a way that's customer-focused and responsive and modern and gives us that decisive edge that we are looking for? So I love that word maverick. I think it fits right in with a, a whole change that we're underway with. I totally agree. I am uh, so excited to see things on like LinkedIn, for example. We've got hashtags, uh, contracting ninjas, and I think General Holt from the Air Force started that, um, and, and hashtags like acquisition deviance. And it's really cool to see people at the working level coming up with new ideas for buying and acquiring things faster and just all the creativity that's spinning around. There's there's a real buzz in acquisition that I think was missing for so long. And so it's really exciting to see that happen. Yeah, it's fun to see. There's one gentleman out there that speaks in terms of like a punk rock approach <laughs> to acquisition, if you can imagine it. But it's that same idea, right? Exactly. Of doing things a new way, an, an aggressive way in, in the best sense of that word. So yeah, it's, it's really fun. And I've seen a lot of those hashtags. So, Carly, since our podcast focuses on the small business community, how have small business socioeconomic programs helped your company in cultivating business growth? So that's a great question. As you mentioned in the intro, JJR is a service-disabled veteran-owned small business. So we were able to benefit from that service-disabled status, our owner was injured in service. And so he was able to apply for that program. He's VA verified. And so that makes us eligible, of course, for certain set-asides. It also makes us eligible for the Veterans First program with the VA. But there's great opportunity for any small business if you can qualify for one of the socioeconomic programs to really limit your competition pool and have more opportunities to get business than you might if you're just competing with other smalls. And of course, as you know, small business, it's funny, you can be, you know, a two-person small business or you can be a 1,500-person small business. And it's really hard if you can't find, if they're if you don't take advantage of the programs that are offered to you, you'll find yourself competing with companies, you know, up to 1,500. So we we've been able to take advantage of that service-disabled veteran-owned small business program. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is that we've been able to take advantage of the SIBR program. And so for those who aren't familiar with the SIBR program, it was a congressional program, but there's three phases. Essentially, the government is trying to get technology quicker, and they want to encourage small businesses to provide that technology. And so the first phase is really research and coming up with, with maybe a possible solution. And the second phase is prototyping that. And the third phase is what they're calling commercializing it and actually having a, a buying customer. So JJR has been fortunate. We've been able to take advantage of that program and we've been able to commercialize technology as a result. That's outstanding. Would you describe that as sort of an agile approach to business development, working with the government? I would. I would. Agile in the 
the sense that if businesses are able to push their solutions through to a phase three, one of the greatest advantages of a phase three is that the government can sole source an award to you if your technology solves their problem, or or maybe it's not a technology, but a methodology, whatever you developed under that phase two. And so sole source obviously is a is a wonderful way to reduce the timeline for acquisition because, of course, you don't have to go through the competitions and the long um, process associated with that. And you can really speak directly with your, your customer and solution things together and just in ways that a competition doesn't allow for and, of course, much faster agile ways. Yeah, the whole process struck me as a bit iterative and rapid, so that's why I framed it that way. Now, COVID-19, that's a term I think you're familiar with by now, right? Very much, very much so, yes. It's a big part of our lives. It's been a game changer for individuals and businesses now. Like anything in life, there are unexpected consequences, both good and bad. But how is your company making the adjustment? What adjustments has your company made and what have you learned from this whole pandemic episode? It's such a good question. And really, we've we've learned a lot. And we've learned a lot that we didn't anticipate learning. So we actually decided to shut down our operating locations. Um, and we have three different operating locations. Uh, and we decided to shut them down back in early March. And it was a very quick decision also. So I think within a matter of two to three days, we had a COVID-19 committee to stand up. We had new policies to push out. We had new operating guidelines that we needed to push out. And and the number one priority was just to make sure our workforce was physically safe, right? We We don't want people getting ill and definitely don't want that within our sites. And so there was a lot of activity to coordinate. And I really think that initial step was a big challenge for our general leadership team, and they rose to the challenge. And I I love seeing the leaders develop in that way. Typically, you're faced with project challenges, right, or acquisition-related challenges. And so this kind of challenge, protecting the health and safety of your team, was very personal, deeply personal, and I think just really stretched them in unique ways. So I loved seeing, number one, the leadership growth that COVID kind of spurred. And then the next big challenge, of course, as I'm sure with any business, is working from home. Luckily, we have um, Microsoft 365. We operate out of the cloud. All our development is out of the cloud. And so working from home wasn't going to be a technical challenge, but it's definitely isolating, right? And it creates new challenges for collaboration. Um, One thing that we did purchase was Zoom, and we decided to have intentional, more intentional collaboration sessions. So for example, we would have a quarterly all-hands meeting previously. And since COVID, we've had bi-monthly all-hands meetings. We've also decided to do daily supervisor calls, and they're just quick kind of connection meetings, 15-minute hits of just talking about the changing things that were changing with COVID. We eventually backed those off to weekly instead of daily, but it was just a great way to connect. And and again, we use Zoom for both of those sessions. What was really interesting to me is when we were trying to figure out how to really work from home and not feel so isolated, we were very worried about losing connection and that collaboration. What was really interesting to me is that we've actually seen an increase in employee engagement, which is something that we we study, 
we saw an increase in employee engagement and people were saying that they felt more connected than ever. So I can only imagine that, you know, utilizing some of these tools that we weren't previously utilizing really helped connect people and rally around this major crisis. It rallied them in ways that we wouldn't have been able to do without those online capabilities. So if you think about it, if our if our workforce is spread all over the United States and we don't really typically see each other every day, now finally being able to see each other and connect was unique. And we didn't know that was missing before. So that's also a very positive thing that's come out of COVID for us. We actually are now back into the office and on a very limited basis. And you know, the, the one of the greatest challenges was shopping for supplies. We had teams of people looking for cleaning supplies that are obviously um, few and far between because of the supply chain issues. But we're now up and running, and so we are allowing people to come back into the office under certain circumstances. But again, this is also an interesting phase or place to be in because some people are working from home, some people are at the office. Do we use Zoom? Do we not? And there's a lot of things that we learned, um, like I said, with working online and collaboration that we want to continue. So we feel we've developed these best practices. So we're going to bring those now into this environment where we're at today to make sure that all of the goodness that we got out of working from home as a result of COVID, we're able to continue when things potentially go back to normal. So really for us, we've learned a lot of positive things. There's been a lot of benefits that's resulted from COVID. And I will say also that we have really been able to focus in on improving the health, well-being, and security of our nation and communities. I talked about that being our purpose statement. We've been able to really focus in on our community during this time and help out maybe it's neighborhoods or it's charities that are really affected and and severely impacted by COVID-19. And so that obviously provides a whole lot of meaning to us and it helps us kind of get out of this, oh, I hate working from home or, oh, this is really annoying and this is frustrating. And it allows us to look at the community and say, all right, there's a lot going on right now. And if we can help them, it takes the focus off, off of us and really helps us feel like we can do something good. And, and of course, that's, that's very meaningful to us. That's a wonderful answer. It sounds like your leadership quickly sized up the risk and were able to operationalize the new policies that would prioritize health and safety, but the continued function of the company. And then that whole description of how you eased into a, a more telework-based situation and found some unexpected goodness in that is just a great set of anecdotes. Very, very encouraging. Our experience at DAU has been very, very similar. We saw that whole episode unfold where leaders had to quickly make that calculation of what is this risk coming at us and is it real? And yes, it's real. And how are we going to continue to do business with minimum interruption. And we have found those similar silver linings in the way we work and are productive and new ways of being productive that we didn't appreciate before. So I think a lot of us coming out of this sort of a crucible situation have come away with very positive lessons. So I appreciate that answer very much. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, it sounds like you're easing back into your new normal. How has your company thought about what that might be like for you and your employees going forward? So we've thought a a great deal about what the new normal looks like. And there's a lot of things we could talk about, but two things in particular come to mind. One is we were not, um, I would say, okay. I'll use the term okay. We were not typically okay with um, our teams working from home previously. We truly believe in being together and collaborating, and we believe physical office space has a lot to do with promoting that collaboration. So I wouldn't say we were against allowing people to work from home. It just wasn't a part of our culture. And so one of the things that we really learned is there's a whole lot of benefit in allowing people to work from home. And they proved during this time period that they remained productive. In fact, many people were more productive, which was interesting. And so when we get back to normal, we want to allow that flexibility when we were previously, we're not going to allow that flexibility, I would say. So there's a whole lot more trust there. And I think employees really appreciated the extra time that they got not to have to, let's say, have an hour commute or Um, All the other things that come with coming into work or just being able to run to the doctor real quick and get back to work at home. Um, So we're going to continue to allow that flexibility in the new normal. And then the second thing that I will say is it's really opened our eyes to our hiring practices. And what I mean by that is typically when we have an opening in one of our operating locations, we tend to look within the community that lives nearby, you know, Um, and so We've now realized that if I have an opening in Dayton and we can work from home, maybe we can go hire someone from Colorado or, you know, from Virginia to perform this need from that location. And that sounds like, well, hello, that's common sense. But in reality, we really weren't doing that. We were looking within the community uh, where that, that need has occurred. So being able to look in other geographic locations and other geographic markets to hire is really going to help us with the what I'll call the war on talent. And as in our business, as you know, small businesses don't just have people on the bench waiting for jobs. So we have to be able to hire the right people at the right time. And so having a larger market to pull talent from is is really important. And so COVID has just opened our eyes to be able to search across the United States, regardless of where the need is. Right. And and transcend geographical boundaries where maybe you were thinking too narrowly about where the talent must be physically located. 100%. Right. That should afford you great, great flexibility. Now, along these same lines, when you think of your stakeholders, what kinds of communication strategies will you be using to convey organizational decisions and and just other things as you communicate with stakeholders? So we, I would say that we have what I'll call a philosophy about communication, and that might be a strong word, but we we believe in a a couple of very basic things. Um, One is transparency. JJR in particular is a very transparent organization, um, not only with our stakeholders, but also with employees. And we believe that being honest and open and direct allows for building trust. You can have those crucial conversations and you can uh, move forward easier when you're having full transparency. 
part of our mission is to build partnerships with clients. And you don't do that if you're not transparent. And so that's a, a major underpinning. The other item that I would say is feedback. Uh, we're big believers in feedback. We absolutely want to make sure that what we said we were going to do, we actually did. And then did we do it in a, in a, in a way that you appreciated or are we missing something? We're always trying to navigate, right? And we want to make sure that we're on the right path. Even with good intentions, you know, things can go off track. So it's always good to practice uh, continual feedback. And again, we seek that out with our clients and we seek it out in more ways than just the formal systems like a CPAR, for example. Um, we are actively and intentionally seeking and then taking action on what, what information was provided. And then I guess the last thing I would say is timeliness. You never, if you're a client, you never want to know about a problem when it's too late to do anything about it, right? And so we believe that timeliness is also very important, and that connects really well with transparency. So even when things are, are difficult, like if we're going to miss a deadline, or let's say there's challenges even with other stakeholders of the program, maybe not the primary mission partner, but it's other stakeholders, and there's challenges there. Those are kind of really difficult things to talk about, but if you're doing it timely and you're being transparent, we find that those three things are really important to um, managing those stakeholder relationships. Yeah, those are so important. Uh, it's all about trust, and it sounds like all these factors are what raise and sustain and maintain trust with stakeholders. That's very excellent. You've been very kind with your time today, Carly. As we wrap up today's session on behalf of DAU, I want to thank you for taking the time out to be a part of this with us. But before we go, do you have any insight, any advice or insight that you would like to share as a small business, anything that might help others, other small businesses or other folks in the acquisition world? Yes, I think this is a great question. I'm very opinionated, so there's always advice that I can offer. But <laughs> I would I would say for small businesses, this this is a tough, tough business. And so I would encourage all small businesses to just dig deep. Grit is uh, actually a value that we have at JJR, and grit so well describes that kind of attitude and that value that that you need to hold on to because the ride is long and it's there's so many highs and lows and if if you um don't just dig deep and and really focus on the bigger picture i think this is a tough business to be in so it's it's easy to get down um but really the main the main thing that i would tell people is that you need to find your purpose JJR is a purpose-driven company, and um, we have found that when we focus on why we're doing what we're doing, why we're in this business, it is a lot easier to go through challenges than if money was our motivator. So we want to improve the health, well-being, and security of our nation and communities. And so when the times get really tough, if we wanted to back out, we're always convicted by that purpose. And whatever the purpose is, it's just very important to find that because that's ultimately what will drive you through anything. And as I said, this business is tough. So um, really spend some time thinking about what that is and what you're ultimately trying to do and don't lose it. That's outstanding. You know, grit is very important, but it can only get you so far without purpose, right? That true 
vocation in the sense of the the real the true meaning of the word of having that call and it sounds like this is a company that knows who you are in the world and you've got a clear sense of calling and that's i think that will be very inspiring to our listeners today great i'm glad to offer it well carly thank you again i appreciate your time on the phone and I uh, hope to have you back some other time in the future. But thank you for your time today. Yes, thank you so much, Anthony. Appreciate it. My pleasure. This is Ken Karkoff once more. I want to thank our guests for participating in today's conversation. Your insights and perspectives will surely help our listeners. And an invitation to our listeners, if you'd like to participate as a guest in a future conversation, please reach out to me at kenneth.carcuff at dau.edu. Till next time, stay engaged and collaborate across your networks. Everyone's talents and skills are needed within the defense industrial base as we fulfill the national defense strategy together.